opportunity to speak with Ben Zadie over Zoom video. Ben was born in Palo Alto, but was raised in the Seattle area. His dad had finished up law school at Stanford when he was born, and then they moved to, to Seattle for him to, to start his career. But Ben got into music at a very early age, started playing piano very young, and then eventually guitar. But it wasn't until he was in high school and he took a music class where they taught him how to use GarageBand that everything kind of changed for him. He's incredibly smart, so he was applying to just Ivy League schools. He applied to Brown and eventually got into Harvard, which is you know, obviously ridiculous, but he went to Harvard. And while he was there, he was pursuing music, but also had his hand in different things uh, while going to college there. While attending school, he gave himself a challenge where he was going to release a song a month for an entire year. And the second song he released was called Choose You Twice, and that song just caught so much fire, ended up making it onto Hype Machine. It has over 2 million, almost 2.5 million plays on Spotify to this day. So that song just really skyrocketed for him. <laughs> so his one song a month, stopped fairly quickly on the second month with the success of that song, Choose You Twice. He talked about putting out his first record and all about this new album he has coming out, which he recorded at Sound City Studios in LA, you know, the infamous studio that Nevermind was recorded at. And Fleetwood Mac recorded Rumors, just iconic, iconic studio. So he talked about working there, working with Ethan Gruska, who we've had the chance to interview. You can check out his episode at bringingitbackwards.com and we also interviewed the guy that played drums on on Ben's record his name is Kane he used to be in the band Portugal the man played on their two biggest records and he's in a band called more so we interviewed Kane about that a while back uh, but Ben had both those guys on his record he was able to acquire Tony Berg as the producer of his album which was like the producer he would kill to work with he ended up getting him he talked about signing a record deal with Network and his plans for the 2022 release of his new album. You can watch our interview with Ben on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. We'd love it if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're Bringing It Backwards with Ben Zadie. So this podcast is about you, your journey in music, and how you got to where you are now. And we'll talk about your new record as well. Great. Cool, cool. First off, where were you born and raised? Seattle, Washington. Seattle, Washington. Uh, I, was, I, I was born in uh, Palo Alto, California, but pretty immediately moved. My family moved to Seattle and uh, lived there tech, all growing up. Tech world or no? My, my dad was going to law school there. And he, oh, okay. I was born like during his... Uh, final exams <laughs> great time where stanford yeah okay right on so then you moved to to seattle moved to seattle uh, what was it like growing up there uh, um amazing i like i i love it so much i was just back there this last week um doing some traveling around the islands the san juan islands and just mm -hmm. reminded like what an incredible place it was to to grow up to such natural beauty of like uh, a kind of a kind that people would travel all over to see, you know, from all over the world. And it was like right around me. That's pretty, I was pretty spoiled. I would say in that, in that regard. Now I last years I've lived in Brooklyn. I, I don't feel it that much, but then I go back and I'm like, 
oh, this is what this is what open space feels like. That's what <laughs> sure. mountains look like. Sure. Yeah. Were you in like the suburbs of, of Seattle? Uh, I grew up on Mercer Island, which is like a little island right in the middle of Lake Washington. So oh, okay. It used to be called East Seattle. It's basically like it's like you can drive 10 minutes and be downtown, but you're also on an island <laughs> in a lake. That's, yeah, that's cool. Was like yeah. your were you like secluded to the island in the sense of like when you went to high school or school, were you all like all people? No, I, I ended up going to high school in like North Seattle. So I, most of my friends and everybody would live in the city and, and all around. So I wasn't ever that secluded. Beyond. And there's like a bridge. It's not like a, like there are islands in you know, Seattle where like you got to <laughs> you got to swim. You um, but like the islands, I was just traveling around the San Juan's like there's a ferry system. And I had friends who took the ferry every every day to school, which is pretty. Uh, it's an intense commute, but it's also like an amazing commute yeah that's pretty cool yeah i've talked to a couple of people that are uh in east southeast uh in uh canada and they had similar situations where they'd have to take a ferry to high school oh, yeah school. it's just crazy to think yeah yeah what well, passing whales on your way in right <laughs> not bad so you're in new york now yeah i'm in brooklyn okay. but i'm actually i'm packing up my apartment right now so i'm like on the move again oh uh, wow are you yeah. li- staying in New York? No. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, I don't. I don't really know where. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where you're headed. That's cool. Yeah, I'm putting everything in the Camry, and then uh, we'll see. In the road, right on. I think <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah, we just moved too. That's why there's like absolutely nothing in this room, so to speak. So. Yeah. Where are you um, guys at? Nashville. We came from San Diego oh, nice. to Nashville. Yeah. Okay, so well, how did you get into music? I mean, your dad's a lawyer. You obviously very smart. Went to Harvard. I want to talk to you about that. But um, how did you get into music? Not necessarily a correlation, but yes. But <laughs> it's so cool. <laughs> uh, I got into music. I I had I got like uh, my parents had me in piano lessons when I was young, and and then when I got like mad that I wasn't learning guitar switch me to guitar lessons and and uh so like I I like had a had a really good just like childhood music education and had it taught in schools and and uh eventually in high school had a like digital media class where they gave us garage band and were teaching us how to use it and that was oh, really wow. where it was like oh wow there's like a whole world of possibility here that's where it really like took hold um, but I would also say just the music that was in the house growing up was constantly, there's so much music playing. Um, my parents just love music, always had it playing. Um, a lot of classic singer songwriters like Cat Stevens, Jackson Brown, Joni Mitchell, Bob Dylan, Neil Young, like those are a lot of their favorite artists. So that was the kind of music I was being surrounded by. Um, and then obviously your classic like millennial, uh, tween diet of <laughs> the Eminem show and of course get rich or die trying <laughs> <laughs> so that kind of combination is really what what uh created the the brew that um doling out right on right on um and were you always writing music I mean it sounds like you're in had a garage band experience in high school were you writing songs at that point 
Yeah, I was writing songs. Even in middle school, weirdly, I remember writing songs before I even like, like I would write out lyrics to songs before I even like knew how to write a song. I would just write like, okay, here's the chorus. Like I would write out full songs, but like without necessarily chords or like a tune to them. Oh, okay. Um, just lyrics. Yeah. Which is like a funny thing to do because it's like uh, writing half a song, but I was like doing that in, mid- in middle school before I even had garage band and figured out that I, that like writing a song was something you could do like, not only writing it, but recording it and like fully fleshing it out. So I think like I had a, always had an interest and desire in it, but never had the tools to like really do it until I got that. I got the software and it was like, oh, it all Game changer. Yeah. And then so did you go you went to Harvard, but did you go there for music? Uh, I originally. Uh, well, I originally went there. I originally applied there because uh, my high school girlfriend at the time thought she wanted to go to Wellesley and I wanted like, I was done with my applications and I had not applied to Harvard and, and was like, I, I, I think it was my dad was like, look, you sure you don't want to apply to like a Boston school just in case, you know, she goes to Wellesley and you might want to be in Boston. Like maybe she's just throwing out, harvard and i was like nah nah like already done i've I've done them all i've like already done a bunch of applications i'm done then he uh, i realized i could just like repurpose one of my other essays and just change the names (laughs) it was like the same essay question so i just reused i think i had applied to brown uh and so i just reused that essay and changed the browns to harvard's and uh got on the wait list and then thought hard about it and got and got off the wait list and thought harder about it and uh, decided to go. I was deciding, but I kind of really wanted to go to music school at a time and, and, but ultimately thought like the energy around Harvard would be really inspiring in other ways, even if it wasn't like, you know, people all trying to do the same thing I would, was trying to do, which I also think I might've really not liked the kind of mm-hmm. like, the buzz light year effect of like when you see the, the rows of all the people like yeah i'm a songwriter like I, I think that would have been i don't know if i could have handled that at 18. so it was actually like in some ways a, a better environment to have contrast mm-hmm. with with the things going on around me uh, and I, I thought i was going to study music there and ultimately the music department was not a home for me it was maybe too much contrast it was just like now jazz is is coming into like and being taught there like it's mm-hmm. classical and like maybe jazz so like they that's how far they've made it catching up in the like musical uh, i was gonna ask that was my next question is like it didn't seem like a school that would be really focused too heavily on on that uh on music. no yeah i think they yeah they move slowly in many ways uh and um yeah i think there i did an independent study in the music department where like one of the professors was like really trying to like understand what i was doing and like giving me some feedback and stuff but yeah it just wasn't the home for me that i probably could have found if i had i don't know gone to something were you like 
were you always aspiring to be a musician or artist? Like, it seems like Harvard is, I mean, a brown Harvard. I mean, you're obviously very, very smart. So knowing that you can get into these Ivy League schools, did you want to go there to pursue a career in, in music? Uh, no, not to pursue a career. I, I don't think I was really thinking about career at all. I was really okay. just like, I want to learn. I want to like be better at it. And then I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I had like a lot of questions for a while about like whether it was ethical to be a songwriter, if that makes sense. Like whether that was like, whether like someone like given so much privilege and like such a position to maybe like exert more direct like change in the world, whether it was like, right to, to to go from that position into one which maybe is like in some way you could measure like improving people's lives but right hard to say that it's like making the world more just you know like sure. it's improving people's lives maybe like evenly across the board not like righting some of the wrongs of the world uh though i don't know that's that was that was at least how my like 19 year old brain was thinking about mm -hmm. it um so I had a lot of questions that hadn't been solved yet that were preventing me from thinking about it. as like, I'm going to be a songwriter forever. Okay. And didn't you, were you were what writing songs in your dorm and one of them kind of caught fire? Like tell, tell me about how it all kind of started for you. I was just, I was just writing on the whole, whole college. I was really just making stuff. And I, I didn't release any music until the first project I released as Ben Zadie was like kind of almost not in any official sense, but I kind of felt like it was like my senior thesis. Like it, I put it out like the week we graduated from college. And so wow. that kind of was like the birth of it really like that really was born as I was leaving college. And those whole four years, I was really just like honing the craft and not, thinking about like worrying about how do I book a show at event? How do I like get an opening slot at, on the tour? Like I was playing shows, but they were like basement, like shows at different houses. And, and like, I wasn't, I wasn't really like, okay, it's time to figure out how to do this. It was like, let me try to write and make the best, like find my voice really. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that stuff all came like right after college rushing in as a like, Oh, now I figured out, I know I want to do this. Like how, how, how is that? How is it done? Exactly. Like what does right. it look like on a day-to-day -day basis? Uh, and, and that came after college, I, I moved back to Seattle and started working in a studio. And that was where I started learning a lot of those pieces from the artists that would come in and out of the studio. Oh, so you, okay. Like a little, like an internship type deal or. Yeah. I like interned at this studio in Seattle called the Ruby room, which is like a really important uh, kind of like community institution uh, of like mostly the local, like hip hop um, R and B scene, but like just a, an amazing place, like filled with amazing people and, and like really the heart of, like a lot of the young Seattle music scene. Um, and I was just like wrapping up cables and what vacuuming at first and then gradually sure. like started 
started doing running my like engineering sessions and it was just a great place because I was meeting so many other artists because every day like multiple different artists would come through for sessions and so I was like meeting all these artists and then not only like watching their process recording which was something I had more experience with but like hearing them talk about like oh I'm gonna do the album release show and like I'm gonna do it here and like oh I'm thinking about the music video and like so like you I was like picking up just like oh these are the ingredients of of like being a kind of DIY independent artist, like, mm-hmm. which is very much the spirit of the Seattle music scene. Um, and has been, I would say since before Macklemore, but like the hip hop, I would say the hip hop scene, especially, I don't know, because it wasn't around obviously what it was like for grunge, but, but I think it's always had a kind of like, we're out here, no one's paying attention to us. Like sure. we gotta do it ourselves. Spirit. Mm-hmm. And so when, what was the kind of your first big break when it came to releasing songs? Um, that year when I was out of college, I started, I had like a challenge to myself to like put out a song every month for a year, starting, I guess, 2016, that, that like calendar year. And I put out a song in January and then in February, I put out a song called Choose You Twice which is like one of, I would say like the song that I think it probably is like numbers wise has been heard by the most people still to this day. Like it, but it also like is a song that for for whatever reason, I really just made it like in my, like, even though I was in the studio, it was still pretty DIY. Like it was just, there was no like, producer like there was it was very uh kind of naive (laughs) how it was made but i think it has this kind of sweet quality to it and um it's like a song that people have asked me to like a shocking number of people have asked me to play at weddings Um, wow like it's like it's like uh i think it's become a lot important to a lot of people's like uh romantic relationships like i think it's it's served that kind of function for a lot of people which is crazy because like i obviously like being like a hopeless romantic myself have made so many like mixed cds for people over the years (laughs) and like that's like a really important role music has played for me and like expressing things that you don't know how to say necessarily but like those really deep feelings you have for someone uh that's like uh, i'm always always be really grateful to like have had the experience of you know being able to pass that on in some small way you know giving that giving that back to people mm-hmm. so that song obviously it does very very well it has you know millions of plays on spotify and from that like does that grab the attention of record labels and how did you initially see the song succeeding it sounds like you were you know, you're like, okay, I'm going to start putting out a song a month. And the second month, this, the, the song does like ridiculously well. Like, how do you? Yeah. Well, it didn't, it wasn't like it went, it wasn't uh, like, like it. Viral. The description you, the, your description is kind of like a time-lapse video of it. Like okay. It, was like, <laughs> it wasn't like you put it out in a, like, a month later. It was like a million yeah. plays. Yeah. Imagine okay. that like on <laughs> 0.1 speed. So it's like. Okay. The first month it has like 
10,000 plays. And at that time, for me, that was like, oh my God. And it was like yeah. on Kite Machine, which was still like a thing. And so that was the scale it was at then. But even okay. for, for me, it was like, wow, this is really connecting. And like, uh, I got too nervous to put out any more songs that year. So it oh, was really? Like too, my song a month ended there. At that song. It was like my good taste of like, it's funny to think about it now, but like 10,000 plays, I was like, oh God, now I got to follow this on. Right. But, I mean, still to, to see those numbers on a song, I'm, I've, if you hadn't had that before, I mean, I would imagine yeah. that would be hard. Yeah. And, and then in some way it's like the big numbers are hard. Cause it's like your brain can't, you you can't fit all like a million people in your head. So right. in some ways, sometimes like the smaller numbers are like, because you can visualize it more than like, Oh, I've been to a stadium with 10,000 people in it. Like that's a lot. Of people. That's a lot of people. Uh, so I like, that gradually it started there and then i think was just like accruing over a long time like more and more people would hear it um but i was still working in the studio and then uh basically and playing a lot of shows in seattle too this was like me figuring out what it takes to like be a independent artist like what what a piece is playing opening sets playing like open mics playing like anything i could play um and then I was thinking I was going to just like keep working in the studio, uh, start and get paid to like hope to just engineer sessions for artists and, and keep living in Seattle. And then I got accepted to this fellowship at NYU for wow. poetry writing, which I had applied to kind of on a whim because one of my uh, similar to Harvard applied to on a whim, I guess that's a theme, uh, <laughs> is me being like, well, who knows what's going to happen. Uh, and then it dictating many years of my life, but, but, um, but one of my advisors at Harvard really encouraged who, who was a poetry teacher and encouraged me to apply to these programs because they're like creative writing master's programs that you can basically get paid a stipend to live on and like get a scholarship for if you, wow. if you're lucky. And, um, and I had written a bunch of poems in college and uh, basically decided to throw some applications out there to a couple of schools where I was like, okay, I could live in these places and like make music and that would be good. Uh, and NYU was the only one I got accepted to and, and they offered me like a, a really nice fellowship. So I was like, dang, well, I guess I have to do this. <laughs> like, I can't, I can't turn down like, two years of basically just like free like writing time and free space to like think about writing and focus on writing and the craft and like anyone who's like a artist knows that like any the amount of the time you can like try to eke out around like a nine to five job or like mm -hmm. any kind of any hours of a job is like half the time that like a full day of like just art making is. And so like an opportunity to have all that energy and, and space to just be making art. I was like, yeah, gotta do it. So then I moved to New York and I've been there since for the last basically six years, five years. Yeah, five years. Wow. 
Yeah. So with that, with your second album, was that put out when you're in New York? Uh, you mean our August? Uh, all alone. Yeah, all alone. All alone came out while I was in New York. I wrote okay. all those songs in New York, hence <laughs> Breakfast in Manhattan. Um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, and so that was just it was more of the same, really. Like the the process you're describing of like things growing and like people taking notice. It was that, but just over, you know, the last five years, I guess, like playing bigger shows, selling out shows, playing then bigger shows after that, mm -hmm. playing more, uh, doing like a little, uh, a little tour around the Northwest doing like, um, uh, just like putting out more music, like putting out songs here and there, like collaborating with people, uh, doing some a little bit of writing for other people, like going to LA, doing sessions out there. And uh, like just everything without thinking about it too hard, everything getting like a little bigger and a little better, like the music right. getting better, the shows getting bigger, the, the perform, like my performance is getting better. Like the, more people being like, oh, I want to help out with this. Like, how can I help out? Like mm -hmm. um, my manager who I knew from, from we did an internship together in, in college, like, and I wanted to be my manager then, but I hadn't put out any music. And <laughs> he was like, he <laughs> was not a manager a at manager. all. <laughs> yeah, I knew it. And he wasn't even a manager then. He was, uh, but, but he hit me up that first year I was in New York and was like, you still want to do this? Like started managing me has been managing me since. So like, wow. it was like gradually I was having, I was getting more help and like I was learning how to do more things myself. And as soon as I learned more things to do myself, I would have more help doing it. So mm -hmm. it really kind of, or like pretty organically grew over a long time with just patience and, and steady, like any day I can spend writing a song, I do it. And any time I feel like I could, one of the songs was good enough to share, I'd share. And really just built on that. I think it, it grew and grew. And, and uh, last year I, I did, I had the challenge again to do the song a month for the whole year. And I really, I almost made it. I was so close, <laughs> but I did one every month until October. So I basically only missed two months. But oh. by the by the by the middle of it, part of why I didn't end up finishing it was because by like July, uh, one of the songs had caught the attention of Network, the label I'm on now, and mm -hmm. so then we started talking to them. I'd been still in my Seattle very like I don't want to sign like I'm independent. <laughs> um, sure. Then started thinking about just how the whole process had been and how it was like any time that people were able to take on stuff. I could spend more time writing and I could spend more time with the art and like if people want to help out with the like accounting and you know marketing and some of that stuff like I don't want to do that I want to make art so right thinking about it hard what it would mean and ended up signing that almost a year ago that was October or November last year wow. so so in the midst of COVID you signed in the midst record of COVID day. that was also it was like wow at not playing any shows, like looking at a long time without, without a lot of that income. It's like, wow, people are ready to give me money for music. Like, 
in in this situation like right. that's pretty amazing mm-hmm. uh, gift like not a lot of people had that everyone all the musicians i know like struggled so sure what was it like where were you when COVID happened obviously you're in new york and that's was pretty terrible for a really long time but um as far as numbers went uh, yeah. but how did that affect you were you on the road at all when it was closing down or were you at home I, I had like a couple shows books that we couldn't do. Uh, but I was, I was at home and I, I just had like a few things that was going to be driving around the Northeast to do. Um, and, and there was like a possibility I was going to have an opening slot on this bigger tour, um, that fell through. But honestly, like I felt lucky, like compared to people I knew who had like their whole headlining tour planned. And, mm-hmm. and I, I did my first national tour, fall 2019 so i got it like just in time we did like eight nine cities across the country and that was like wow that was amazing and and like something that i had always wanted to do and and finally happened and i would have just like thinking about how it would have felt if like right before that had happened that had been taken away it would have been Mm -hmm. devastating so i felt pretty lucky all told um but yeah definitely not You'd think and you'd hear stories sometime of like, we'll be like, oh, quarantine, I wrote my novel. Right. <laughs> it's like, okay, <laughs> wow, good for you. But like, you'd think in some ways, like maybe, especially if you're like, you got some time and you're like on unemployment or something, like you, you like got nothing else to do. And like, but uh, it's like, it, I didn't really feel like creative, that creative for a lot of it there were like songs I'd have little bursts, like a write a song here and there, but it, I was, I started feeling really like around this time last year, I was feeling pretty like stagnant, just like there was no, like all the, the reasons I love being in New York are, are going to the concerts, going to the museums, like being surrounded by all that inspiration. Um, it's like such a creatively rich environment and all of that was just like sucked out of it. And mm-hmm. so when the absence of that, then it's like, it's not exactly the most like naturally gorgeous place to be. <laughs> right, um, right. So it, it definitely felt like the walls were closing in a little bit at times. Uh, but there were also like some just like absurdly, just like you lean into the absurdity of it and like we, me and my roommates all like at the beginning, I remember one of my roommates is a journalist and he got laid off and we all were just like, well, I guess we're just going to get drunk now. <laughs> like, <laughs> like real kind of like great depression type. Sure. I lost my job. We're all time to get drunk. So there was some of that and like some real camaraderie of like, I luckily, you know, had, there's three, three of us and both our partners, all of our partners were here. So it was like a little, a little a party. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. When did you start finding inspiration? Cause it, I mean, you recorded some songs in LA, a super uh, famous yeah. studio. Yeah. That was last fall. Basically all clicked. There'd been this long kind of stagnant period. And as much as it, I was describing like, you know, some fun times, it's like, yeah, at first maybe you can like find more of those but like 
gradually, you know, more people, you know, start getting sick and like more people, you know, start dying. And it's just kind of, it, it becomes more real. And that combined with the just like lack of, I think any kind of real new stimulation of, of like inspiring art and stuff was like, Oh, I'm really going to just like write the same old song again, like getting stuck in this kind of like, like kind of boredom with the ways of I've been doing things. And uh, I like now being on the label for the first time, I could think like, okay, like I can stop comparing myself to like just things I've done. Like I can compare myself now to like artists that I love and like my favorite artists. And so I started thinking about like, forget how I've always made music. Like how, how was like the freewheel and Bob Dylan made or like, how was like blue made and think about like, what was that process like? And like, who were the people involved and like, how, how could I try like a version of that? And basically what I was realizing looking at all these was it was like one, all my favorite albums were like one artist, usually singer songwriter and one producer. Mm -hmm. And like, it's a very kind of like seventies, like sixties, like old school way of making records. Uh, but I was intrigued by it. Cause I just kept seeing it on all these different albums. It was like one producer, one artist, like, uh, and then I made a list kind of, of like my dream producers based on like some of my favorite albums made more recently. And, mm -hmm. and one, one of my favorite albums, two of them now are Phoebe Bridgers, two albums, like, her first album is like one of my favorite albums the last 10 years. And, mm -hmm. and so uh, looking in the credits, I saw the producers and Tony Berg was there and, and um, he produced all that stuff with Ethan Greska. And, and mm -hmm. I had, so I had Tony on my list and we started just like reaching out to people to see like, you know, who like starting from the dream category that he was in, like best people in the world I could work, hope to work with. Uh -huh. and work our way down and we got to him and called and and got my uh someone at zales management my manager's management company knew him um from working on a record and got in touch and he called me and we had like a really long conversation and it was just like great like it was it was like i was like oh this is this is like gonna be a mentor of mine for life like it was like instantly he was like uh like a, it would it, it's not exactly right to say fairy godfather <laughs> because it's his style is so not that like it's, right. his style is like like you told me the first call it was like i'm gonna push you hard it's gonna be hard but in the end it will be your album and i was like that's exactly what i want i want someone to like really push me and challenge me and that's what i think i was missing with the like way i had been doing things just like i had honed it so much that it was like now easier easy for me or like comfortable oh. and that's like a terrible place to be so started talking to him and sent him what i thought was like most of my next album and he was like these songs are great but you you got like nine beautiful songs here and i think that's the problem <laughs> like he was like it's too beautiful like you should try to write something a little uglier. 
Oh, and interesting. Then, and then I wrote a song, ended up being the first song on the album. Uh, and it's actually coming out on Friday. And, um, and I sent it to him and he was like, this is incredible. This is like the best thing you've ever made. I think it's the first song on your new album. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, oh, fuck, I'm like starting from scratch. But, um, but he was pushing me and he pushed me to write a bunch more. And I thought I was done again. And then he was like, we're about 40% of the way there. <laughs> and so oh, wow. he me Just talking on the phone basically every day, sending uh-huh. him stuff I was writing, writing every day um throughout kind of the fall and winter and then in like late january finally he was like okay i think we're ready to get in the studio so february i flew out there and we spent like two weeks just like going through songs at that time i now had then by then like 30 songs that were all like contenders for the album wow so we had to like narrow that down a lot and that was really tough and playing through them like in a very old school way, like him coming into the, coming into his house and he'd be like, okay, now play me, play me the songs. Like, that's not how like millennial or like Gen Z, <laughs> like music making works. You don't sure. like sit down with a guitar and like play the songs. Right. You, like, Wait, let me get this straight. I have to sit down and play this for you. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I don't know. I was straight up like, I don't know how to play these songs. Like right. I like recorded them. And then immediately forgot how to play them. Like, I don't remember. I don't like keep track of those things. Like when it comes time for me to tour, I'll like make sure I relearn them and know them. But like when I'm writing songs, especially writing 30 songs, like in a couple months, like you, you play a little part, you record it, start thinking about lyrics. Like I didn't remember them. So he was like, you might need to be practicing guitar six hours a day for the next two weeks before we get <laughs> to the studio. Oh um, man. So it was good. He was, he was pushing me and, and had this kind of like, he like the, the music that he grew up on and like kind of really loves and worships is like, you know, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, like uh, that kind of like early, like recording as art. And, but right. also, but with the integrity of like both experimenting with recording that didn't involve necessarily instruments as we understood them, but still like with the chops of like, you know, your instrument cold and mm-hmm. like you can play the songs and you're like a musician and an artist. So it was, that was like kind of exactly the, the thing I was looking for was that kind of timeless process of like how my favorite albums ever were made with like, uh, attention to the music attention to the to the like live instrumentation which we ended up using like a basically a ton of on the on the album which i'd never done before like Mm -hmm. usually in the bedroom it's like let me play this thing let me play that thing and like let me program these drums like let me uh uh and 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 he like we came in and it was like we're gonna have this amazing bass player come in and play upright or like play cello or whatever and like we're gonna have this amazing pedal steel player come in and play pedal steel and we're gonna have this guy play sax and come in and like just like real classic like record making stuff Mm -hmm. that like i i've never had access to because i've been so focused on the you know the laptop bedroom process but i think ultimately now i feel like i because i spent so long in that mode 
like was able to really dial into a certain kind of intimacy and like vulnerability that I think I, I think you can only get in some circumstances like when it's just you in a room recording mm-hmm. like I think there's something to that and the kind of the like intimacy of it that you don't necessarily you can't necessarily achieve in a big studio but at the same time then also marrying it with the big studio and the like timeless process of like bringing in these people who like are masters of their crafts and having tony like build the sound like thinking only about the sound and have me focus on thinking about the songs and like really kind of like build this orchestra of like people all playing their part uh, in like a really truly collaborative sense and and after so many years of like doing it alone and gradually bringing in little bits of people here and there it was like oh this is like how far and how amazing you can do if you really like open yourself up to to like a, a collaborative process like that and it's definitely like the best thing that I've ever made and maybe will ever make it's like the I I like I can't believe, uh, I can't believe that we made it. <laughs> like it's, it's <laughs> like, uh, my goal is to try to really make like a timeless album. And I feel like, uh, that's maybe always your goal, but like mm-hmm. rare to, to feel like, wow, we, we might've done it. And that's how I feel. <laughs> that's awesome. I mean, the players you have on the record, I mean, I I've interviewed, Ethan Greska before, and he's oh, great and so talented. And same with uh, Kane from Portugal, the man. Did he play drums mm-hmm. on the record? Yeah, and he, he did. He, he is not in the band anymore, but he he played on the the biggest albums they ever released, right? Yeah, yeah, um, on tour too. So, uh, and he's in a band called More. So I, we interviewed him about that band. But so cool. I mean, yeah, it sounds like you definitely had some incredible players on the record, and you recorded it at Sound City. What was that like? Just amazing. And, and Tony has like, there's two studios in Sound City and, and Tony has like the smaller room, which is like, it's got this interesting, it's not like the big band room. Uh-huh. Um, it's got this kind of more intimate feeling and, uh, and Blake Mills, who like co-owns it with him, uses the big, the big room, Studio A and Tony has Studio B. And it's where like certain songs were recorded, like up, Every Sound City, the whole thing has kind of like a mystical quality. Sure, I mean because it's like Fleetwood Mac and Tom yeah. Petty and you know, Nevermind is recorded there. Like. Yeah, yeah, and Rage Against the Machine. Oh, like, sure. So many of my favorite albums um, were recorded there. But uh, interestingly, like something that maybe tells you about like the difference in spaces, like I think all of Nevermind was recorded in A, except uh-huh. something in the way it was recorded in. Be. so oh, that really? tells you something about the like the vibe which i think is like uh yeah like a little more like intimate and uh yeah i don't know have the words for it exactly but but that's interesting i didn't i thought the whole record was recorded in studio a i didn't know that they yeah, no. broke one song out and yeah, I'll have to re-listen to that song and apparently and kind of Kirk was like in. lying on the couch when he recorded the vocal, like he was like lying down. Oh wow! Yeah, the so, tricks of the trade. Yeah, there you go. That's <laughs> a industry secret for, for yeah. record uh, vocals on your back. <laughs> yeah, take it easy. Take a load off. 
<laughs> take a uh, look. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sure you could feel the, the energy in there. Yeah, definitely. And it, and I think it just like psychologically lets you operate in that space where I'd been think, trying to like, not even, I wasn't like trying to do it, but suddenly I guess I just reached a place where I was like, why don't I compare myself like to these people that like, mm-hmm. or not compare so much as like, not think of it as like this far off thing. And instead realize that like, I'm a songwriter, singer, songwriter, like they're singer songwriters, like I'm doing the same thing they were doing. Um, And so it really, it really helps you kind of, I guess, feel that like I'm doing the same thing that they were doing when you're in the studio that like, that like landslide was recorded. Like I, (laughs) there's a line in one of one of my songs on the album, but that's, I wish I wrote landslide by Fleetwood Mac. Scarcely like, nothing to say, and like I literally recorded it in the studio where landslide was recorded. So, was that written prior to to did you know prior? You're, yeah, and you yeah. didn't know you were going to record there. Yeah. Wow, that's yeah. cool. That's a cool. Yeah. Oh, Easter yeah. egg in the album. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and it was just like it. It feels like, uh, like you feel like oh, if these there's like. There's both like intimidation of like, oof, these people recorded here and now I'm recording here, but also like the validation of like, oh, I must be here for some reason. Someone right. let me in here to record and like all these <laughs> people recorded here. Like it's not, it's no longer this distant thing, uh, which is both scary because it's like, wow, these people were just people like me and they did, they made this art that I care about so much, but also like humanizing and like, oh, wow they like drank their tea right there while they were waiting for the drums to be set up or whatever. And like, that's what I'm doing. And like, right. Um, it, it helps to feel like, just like the, the, as opposed to this idea of like the past being distant, like the, the continuity of like music history and like the, the legacy of, of the music you love and that it lives on, not just like as this, antique object but as this like process that people were doing and like the process carries on now mm-hmm. still yeah you followed a similar process to you know zach de la rocha and kurt cobain stevie nicks and so on and so forth yeah that's pretty pretty cool to to have that yeah that's awesome yeah that's the dream right, <laughs> when right. you're a little serious like wow that's the dream yeah. yeah, you've achieved it. That's amazing. And then the record's set to come out next year? Yep. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And do you have any shows coming up? Or you have you played yet since? I played actually, down? weirdly, I played a show last summer uh, at a barn in Maine for like 12 people. That's <laughs> that, awesome. <laughs> that, that, was like, that was the last show I played, uh, which was amazing. Just like this at former like meditation commune in in maine uh that now is like an event space and it was legal supposedly like everyone wore masks it was like in retrospect (laughs) but i feel always sketchy about saying that i played a show people imagine i'm like down in miami like in the clubs right right (laughs) thousands of people jump around maskless yeah (laughs) i know i i'm lucky in a way that the album cycle is is timed the way it is because i like really the time to tour would be next summer, next fall. Mm-hmm. And um, that allows me to be like, well, 
we'll figure it out by then. Like, <laughs> which I I'm got sure time. People, I bet people felt that way about this fall, but sure. uh, so yeah, I don't know. It's it's a little nerve wracking to think about like booking a tour at this in this context. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm like kicking the can a little bit. I think sure. I'll probably end up playing a couple shows like around the album release. Like even if they have to be really intimate album release shows or something like I'd love to do. I'd love to do a show in Seattle, a show in New York and a show in LA. Mm-hmm. I think that would feel right. And that'd be really be cool. cool. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to hear the record and, and the song you have coming out next Friday. The, the, the stat, the, what would, was it the sad song or not the not bright song? The ugly song. The, the ugly, ugly song. song. That's what it was. Going on, gone. Yeah. It's coming out. I can't wait a couple to hear days. it. Very cool. And thank you so much for doing this, Ben. I appreciate it. Thank you, Adam. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, one more question for you. Do you have any advice for aspiring artists? I mean, I'm I'm thinking back on the, the kind of journey I described. I think really it's like find ways to spend as much time doing the thing you want to do as you can. Like, I think don't defer like the the actual act that you that you want to get better at like if if you want to write and i know people who would who like have these plans of like oh i'll just work for a while make money and then i'll have more to invest in what i'm doing like if you have a way to to scrape by and spend more and more of your time making art like that's what you got to do because the more you do it like the better you'll get the more will happen for you i think like it's that's not like a guarantee but it's like to give yourself the best shot you got to just be doing it uh there's nothing to it but to do it as the 50 asked for